Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. What's poppin' everybody? This is Priscilla. And this is Norma. And you're listening to a very different kind of episode of It's the Mystery for Me. It's a follow-up episode. Which we've never done before. But here goes nothing. Welcome back to It's a Mystery for Me. And we're here with a follow-up episode, and we are following up on episode 41, which is the Josephine Holmes Cook case. So you might be like, wait a minute, what do you mean follow-up? Like, y'all did this research on your own? Like, what happened? So let me tell you what had happened. What had happened was we put out the episode, and we received a message on one of the social media platforms from a family member who is very, very close to the case, okay? And we talked to the family member a bit and realized that they would be comfortable talking to us more and answering some more of our questions. So we set up a Zoom call and we had a Zoom call and it was great. It was really informative, I think, more than anything. It was very informative, yes. Um, We learned a lot and we just want to talk to you guys a little bit about what they told us. For safety reasons, we're going to keep their, you know, identity anonymous. And if you haven't heard the Josephine Holmes Cook case, what you doing here? Go listen to that again. But we're gonna give you a a quick summary of what happened. So Josephine Holmes Cook was murdered in her home in Atlanta, Georgia, okay? And this happened in 1996. An interesting detail about the case is that Josephine was a judge. And she had a son. She was in a very loving marriage for many years. Her son was like a teenager at the time, like 17. And she had sent him to all the best schools, y'all. Like, think about whatever the best private school is in your area. Yeah. She had that kind of coin to send him there. So basically, her son ends up getting arrested for her murder. But it's based really almost entirely on circumstantial evidence. And if you listen back to the episode, me and Norma kind of, you know, we are going back and forth about, you know, whether or not this person should have been sentenced and how long Mm -hmm. they should have been sentenced for and all that stuff. But what you need to know is that her son was sentenced to technically life in prison. That's what the Oxygen show said. Okay. He was offered a plea deal. Remember that? Yeah. And in the plea deal, you want to tell them about the plea deal? The plea deal, wasn't it 20 years, right? Yes. 20 years. um, But if he takes a plea deal, he only has to serve one year. Mm -hmm. And then he has to take counseling. You might be thinking to yourself, hold up. Am I listening to a white podcast come again? That is a sweet deal. Let me tell you, now you're still on Black True Crime (laughs) podcasts, okay? Um, But it is a sweet deal. And I think what happened was the fact that his mom was a judge. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? She had been super influential in the area being a judge is super prestigious. They probably thought, like, let's be lenient. He didn't have a record and things like that. So when the family member reached out to us, they said, 
listen, he's actually out of prison. I said, what? hold the hell up. How did that happen? Like, you what's know? going on here? And they weren't entirely sure, but what I think happened, and if you listen to all our episodes, you're going to know what I'm going to say. Basically, that Supreme Court case we always talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Where, like, if someone's 17 or older, well, sorry, 17 or younger, and they commit an egregious crime, they can't be sentenced to, like, life in prison without the possibility of parole, without it basically being shown that the judge took into account the fact that they were young when they did this, right? So anyone who was sentenced for, like, a heinous crime, because of that ruling in 2012, they were entitled to a resentencing hearing. So there's not much online about him. His name is Reynard, by the way. There's not much about, like, the case and stuff in terms of, like, the legal process and what happened, but we think... Mm -hmm. That's probably what happened. He was resentenced, and so he was out. So he ended up only serving 22 years. So basically, this Zoom call was was kind of interview-like, and we were not trying to make it interview-like, you know, but we had our journalist hat on. We had our true crime detective hat on. You know what I'm saying? Amateur detectives out here. So we definitely had some questions that were written down, and we definitely want to share some of those questions with you and some of the answers we got. You want to talk about? Yeah, so I know for me... I wanted to know um, if Reynard had the opportunity to... So basically, Reynard, it seemed like he had a lot of pressure from the family, right, to, to not take this plea deal. To, because in taking this plea deal, you're basically saying, hey, I'm guilty, I, I did this crime, yeah. but I'm only going to serve X amount of time, right? Well, technically, I mean, you could be saying you're guilty, you could be pleading no contest, but in this case... He had to plead guilty. Right, right. And his grandparents were not in favor of that, and that's why he didn't take the plea deal. And the jury came back with a decision, and boom, they had sentenced him to life in prison. Right. So I wanted to know, if he didn't have that pressure from the family, would he have taken the plea deal? And they basically said that they felt that he would have still have not taken the plea deal. Really? Yeah. Why? Just based off of, you know, who he was as a person, mm. um, he is very, I got the impression that he's very prideful and he's not going to just say that he did something to admit to this just to get lesser time. Like he wants to go through and prove that he in fact is innocent and he didn't do this crime. Yeah. Or it could be a sense of arrogance because... Like I said before, you know, it was a lot of circumstantial evidence. That's it, right? So it could be like he's just arrogant and he doesn't want to admit to what he's done. So he's not going to take the plea deal for that reason either, right? So I think it's twofold. Yeah. We did ask them, you know, we talked to them about what we thought was the most damning piece of evidence, right? I said for me, it was the fact that like he had gone to the neighbor's house after, you know, he found his mom in a pool of blood in like their kitchen area And he said to cops in his statement that he had grabbed his mom. He was shaking her and stuff. But then the neighbor said, well, he came to my house. He sat on my couch. My couch is white and there was no blood on there. And like he didn't have blood on him when he came to my house. So I thought that was weird. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they just were saying, you know, he lies a lot, like that he lied a lot and that like it's very possible that like he made up the story he made up a story about like when he found his mom and that's probably why he didn't have blood on him like it's just it's very 
it's very complicated. So it wasn't, we just kind of shared what we thought it was our, the most damning evidence, but it's not like we really expected them to like give us some sort, sort of like, we just told them what we thought about the case and like, listen, this is why we thought, like if I thought he did it, this is the one piece of evidence that would, that I would be holding on to to be like, yeah, he did it. Um, For me, I think I mentioned that, you know, his father told the cops that he confessed to it. Right. Right. That he essentially confessed to it, said that there was a masked person in the house that basically told him to shoot his mom. Right. And I thought that that was odd because why would the dad say that if it wasn't true? Right. You know? Who, who just makes that up? Right. But again, you know, it could just be part of this web of lies that Reynard is telling. Who knows? Which is also kind of interesting, because let's talk about the dad for a second, because we learned something very interesting. He still lives in the same residence where the murder happened. As a matter of fact, Reynard lives there with him, apparently, and the dad remarried. So I don't know if he has other kids, but... I thought it was kind of eerie that he lived in that place. And sh- and sure, like, mm-hmm. people who have dealt with certain traumas, may- and you can tell me this and DM us, sometimes you're- it's hard for you to let go, but I just think this is so tragic. I don't know. I guess yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't I know. Mean, I think for me, I probably would leave the house. So to go to, like, your your piece of damning evidence and what that made me think about, it made me think about the fact that, like, the episode and just articles never talked about whether the dad had a motive. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because technically, if you let your kid take it for you, take the heat for you, they gonna get lesser time. They're underage. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that's the case, but I'm just saying that's another scenario that like the show didn't talk about. They didn't talk about whether she had an insurance policy, but we did learn from the family member that she was really into generational wealth. She was buying up properties in Atlanta, y'all, in 1996. You know, she was just different. And she was doing this with her siblings, too. It was like a family thing. So she definitely had life insurance and she and, you know, and other things. So I would want to know more about that and like the police investigation into the dad, even if it didn't come up with anything. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'd just be curious about those things, because we hear too often that someone is killed because of insurance money or something like that. True. Of course, we asked if Reynard has admitted to the crime since then and they said you know that he has maintained his innocence you know i'm gonna use air quotes for innocence but he has not ever said like that he he did it um other than you know him saying like oh someone made me do it but he in the sense that he doesn't feel like he really was the one that killed his mom right like if someone told you to kill your mom it's like i didn't really do it like i felt like i had to right there was a new piece of evidence that the family member brought up that i was like my jaw was on the floor do you remember what that was oh the dad having a twin brother oh yeah that's one of them but i was thinking that wasn't else. no but the dad <laughs> apparently has a twin brother y'all i know y'all are probably thinking okay he has a twin so what but the twin just had some interesting tendencies let's just say murderous tendencies without me going into too much details and the theory was okay maybe josephine knew something that you know she wasn't supposed to know about some of his activities or plans and maybe he did it maybe he was the one in the mask that told the son to do it but that was you know that definitely was an interesting part but what i was thinking about was the fact that apparently Josephine wrote Reynard's name in blood before she died. 
Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That was not mentioned in articles or in the damn show we watched. And that is very damning. Okay, okay. of course, like, my brain went to the other side where I was like, okay, but someone could try to set him up, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But I don't know the likelihood of that happening. You know, the likelihood of someone being a psychopath like that and writing, like, his name. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. Do we know for sure that she herself try to write it? I don't know if we know that for sure. Mm. I don't think that's like with 100% certainty, but... It reminds me of that one case. You you remember the one in um, Florida where there's a mom, um, her kids, I think um, she was from Haiti, right? And the guy wrote something on the wall. Yes. Yeah. It just kind of made me think about that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was Marie Altador was her name. That sounds familiar. I think so. Yeah. Um, I got to double check on that. But we definitely did cover a case like that. I can't remember every single case in every single detail, which is like, you know, my brain it just doesn't work like that. Like, it never worked like that. Usually, like, when I study for a test, it's like brain dump the next day. Like, it's not good, but, you know, we got the job done. You know what I'm saying? Or at least for the testing days, I'd be like, well, I passed the test. Now I'm emptying <laughs> my brain. Um, so I have, like, kind of yeah, it is. memory. Yeah, it is Marie Altador. Okay, cool. Marie Altador. Of course I had to ask them, you know, now knowing details about the case, like, you know, coming across the podcast episode, watching the Oxygen show, whatever. Do you think he did it? Or, like, what does your family think? And the family, interestingly enough, is kind of on the fence. Like, at first they did think he did it, you know, just based off of his behavior afterwards. Just, like, weird, you know, the type of circumstantial evidence that, like, was being brought up by the police and the prosecutors, But then they also think that it's very possible it could have been some sort of initiation thing into a gang where he had to, like, you know, where someone really did tell him to do it. It seems to me the family kind of leans more that way versus the way of, like, he did it. You know, Mm -hmm. they keep in touch with him. His sister, I I know I mentioned in, like, another episode um, as an update that Josephine had a daughter, an older daughter in her 20s. Um, and it was not from the same marriage. Um, and that daughter had a grand, like a son at the time. So Josephine was a grandmother and we asked a family member and yes, she was a doting grandmother. She loved her grandchild. and everything. It seems like his sister even keeps in touch with him, right? Mm-hmm. And like, it seems like a lot of the family does. I mean, he's living with the dad. And I, and I, I think the situation is tricky, again, because it's like, it's your, it's your sibling, it's your cousin, it's your child, it's your, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So it's like, they did this egregious thing, but they're still your kid. And again, there's not like 100% certainty that he did, in fact, do it. I thought another intriguing part about the conversation was the part where we talked about like Black culture and Caribbean culture and stuff mm-hmm. and how in terms of like family secrets or just like things that your family don't really like to talk about, you know what I'm saying? How, how we as a people ignore the elephant in the room. You swear to secrecy. You, it's like, On you just don't issues. talk about things. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I feel like everybody got an uncle that touched somebody. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, but the family won't press charges because it's their uncle, it's the cousin, it's this or that. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's really interesting that like in the, in the black community, especially we see this a lot, mm-hmm. you know? And so we talked a lot about that because the family member was saying, you know, they didn't really have too much knowledge about the case. Like 
it's, it's very hush hush in the family. And it reminded me of like our cousin and how our cousin was murdered um, in Spain. And it, it's, we don't talk about it in the family. Like mm-hmm. when I've tried to ask questions, like you just kind of get that, you know, you get a certain tone, like, okay, why do you want to ask so many questions? Like, no, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. there's, and there's other things that happen in the family that I always want to know about. And maybe as a kid, I, maybe my parents thought, or my family thought, she's nosy. Well, maybe I was just a little detective in the making, a little lawyer <laughs> in the making, you know what I'm saying? But there were things I wanted to know that, you know, I just was told you can't know. But it wasn't because I was a kid. It's because of, like, the culture. Like, you just yeah. don't speak about certain things. And you don't speak about these things, especially to other people. So that part, it was interesting just comparing our, diff- like, you know, our life experiences mm-hmm. and, and kind of seeing how we were so alike in that way. Reynard was released from prison in 2020, and it's not really known what he's actually doing with his life. It seems like he lives with his dad, right, in the house still. But there's not really anything online that even, like, there was nothing online that even said he was released. I mean, if I, I'm sure maybe if I dig a little deeper or maybe search, like, a prison site that he was at, maybe it'll say that he was released. But I was mm-hmm. like, wow, there's no articles. Meanwhile... There's an article every other week about who killed John Benet Ramsey. I'm just like, well, damn, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I think I can solve the puzzle at this point. Pat, isn't that his name on Wheel of Fortune? Pat? I think so. I don't know. Well, I, I'm ready to solve the puzzle at this point. Um, I could really write a dissertation on that case because of the amount of documentaries. I mean, also with the Menendez brothers, they're releasing another documentary. I was like, well, damn, I haven't heard that story so many, like, how many times, how many, times? How many different ways can you tell the same story? Right. How many you different know? ways? Like, what are you going to say? Like, there's something we don't know. Like, what else don't we know? You done told us everything. Right. Like, focus on new things. Like, focus, focus on things that, on not necessarily that are, new, but focus on stories that need the platform too. Yeah. Why do you need to tell the Menendez brothers stories twenty times in a three year period? I don't like it don't make no damn sense. Meanwhile, Josephine's story, it's like a lot of people were hearing it for the first time on this podcast. These true crime channels, yeah, y'all need to hit us up. Hit us up for some content. We got you. We got plenty of stories that you can share. Like this mm-hmm. one, like Josephine's story right where it could actually reach people because what's also interesting is like the family member might have come across this or maybe had a friend listen to it or like and it it seemed like some of the details this was new to them like again because of the hush-hush culture in the black community in the caribbean community you know what i'm saying like so that is also like really interesting but again not surprising so now that we've, like, learned that new information, how do you feel? Do you think Raynard did it? Damn, you're going to put me on a spot like that? Um, on spot, Norma. You're in the hot seat. I think, if anything, I have more doubts. Mm. I think I really said with such conviction, like, I don't think he did it, or I'm on the fence because I don't, you know, there's not enough direct evidence here. Yeah. Um, but I think hearing from, you know, this family member... You start to realize, like, okay, Reynard is, he seems to be, like, a habitual liar. Yes. So, 
they it did makes describe me, him as that time yeah. and time again that so, he was just like a troubled kid right it so was like, that raises more doubts for me okay so instead of me being like on the fence i'm kind of like halfway off the fence like a leg is on the fence but the other leg is on the ground i don't know on the ground with like maybe he did it yeah oh wow okay yeah. i feel confused and for me what has changed because i feel like before i was confused and stuff but i think i was leaning more towards like he did it but what's confusing to me is the family's reaction to him and how close they all are with him a lot mm. of them are um and maybe that's not a piece to consider, you know, but for me, I'm an emotional person and stuff. And like, I don't know. It just gave me pause. You know, it gave me like, hmm, did he really do it or did someone, you know, clearly he said he did it. Right. But like, did you know, is the scenario that someone forced him to do this? Like, is that really the case? And if that's the case, like how horrific that you had to kill your mother because someone told you to do it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you felt like, you, you know. There's like no way out. Do it that they were gonna kill you type mm-hmm. of thing. So I feel like because of that and hearing like how the family interacts with him, that has made me feel like oh, like maybe he didn't do it. But the only people that know the truth are you know it's Josephine, who's sadly not here anymore. God rest her soul. And Reynard. Mm-hmm. Reynard knows the truth. And maybe he's told it, but maybe he hasn't, you know? We don't know. But we hope that the Holmes Cook family, that they, you know, are at peace, that they are able to reach that level of peace and and feel like justice was done, right? Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, he did serve 22 years. Yeah. You know? So there was something, you know, there's something to be said about the fact that he did that. Like, he was... He served time in prison, right? There's some sort of justice. Now, is it the justice that the family wanted? I don't know. You know, because losing her and then losing him, you know, Mm -hmm. that's like a double loss right there. You're losing a kid. I mean, he was 17, a child going to prison, you know? So I think it's just, this case is just very complicated. It's not just cut and clear. And we might never know the truth. Mm -hmm. I agree. And of course, that part is frustrating. You know, I get so mad when I come across like cases like this or just like unsolved cases. This one clearly is like seems solved. Right. I mean, he did his time. So to that end, I will say, like, it's not an open police investigation. They can't retry him because of double Mm -hmm. jeopardy. So it's like it's it's closed. Right. So it's not unsolved technically. But like there are questions here. You know, there are there are real questions here. And I feel like. Only Reynard holds those answers, and it, it and like, I don't know. Like this one was a doozy, but we just really want to thank the family member for reaching out and, um, you know, giving us their time and and telling us the story from their perspective, answering our questions, our interview questions. We appreciate it so much, and we always want to tell the story as accurate as possible. So if you're listening to the story and you're a family member, and and you feel like okay, wait, there's more to the story. Please reach out. There's something that I need to tell you. Please Mm -hmm. reach out because even in this sense, we're sharing it anonymously. We we're not sharing, you know, any of the actual conversations. There's things that I've left out on purpose and Norma has left out because of, you know, privacy things, privacy reasons. But just know, like, if you reach out to us, you know, we will we definitely want to accommodate you if you have the time to talk to us 
we'd love that. And there's that. That concludes this follow-up episode on the Josephine Holmes cupcakes. Y'all can catch us next week with a brand new episode of It's the Mystery for Me. Don't forget to follow us on social media and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts and or like rate us on Spotify, whatever. Send us a love, send us a message. We love to see it. We appreciate it so much and we hope you guys have a great week. Mm-hmm.